so to speak. And finally, uh, the, our hosting of the Irish National Men's uh, draws ever closer. Uh, we will require crash most likely for this. Yes. Year. So if anybody lives in the area uh, and can offer a small section of floor and roof uh, <laughs> for people to lie on and under uh, over the e over the weekend of 27th, 24th, 25th. 24th, 25th of March, please speak to Mr. Dallin. Uh, again, they don't need couches, they don't need beds, they don't need anything, they just need a bit of floor. Uh, they will sleep on staircases if we make so, oh my god. Uh, indeed, I know. It's really quite horrible. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to announce. Uh, so, uh, I must apologise, there is a slight mistake once again on the order of papers. If you, look, uh, geez, if you look at the second order of business, it says Mr. Secretary, reading of the minutes of the 20th ordinary meeting, and actually that was going to be a joke, but that is actually a mistake, I'm just saying that being... <laughs> 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 On that point, Mr. President, yes. I think what you're actually trying to prove is that our temporary secretary is in fact a time traveller. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. But also, the joke I was going to make was that um, it should read Mr. Secretary, it should read Mr. Tecretary. So if we can please welcome the Tecretary to the front. That was totally intentional. Do you want to hear some minutes? Yes! This is an awful idea, but that's never stopped me in the past, so it's not going to stop me today. Right, these are Mr. Peter Don's minutes. I'm reading them off my phone, and they're absolutely tiny. So if my eyesight fails, I will just make them up. The 19th ordinary meeting of the Literary and Scientific Society took place on the 22nd of February and was attended by not nearly enough members, about 40. If only he could see us now. I remember tonight, I'm far too late because of the president's faffing. His words, not mine. Shame resigned, Our treasurer, Mr. John McDonald, begun the session of private members' business by asking the House if they would condemn the new Snapchat update. Training officer Miss Lily Vetter branded this as fake news, needless to say. She was wrong. The tech officer from that Bradley said it was obviously designed by someone who'd never seen an app before and uh, then muttered something about capitalism. <laughs> yes, I did. Mr. Conway reportedly urged the House to think about the nudes. <laughs> Calling the old man of the people. After intense discussion, a vote was taken on the motion this House would repeal the Snapchat updates, and it was passed. It's certainly the big issues discussed here at the moment. <laughs> Mr. Russell Nairn, for some reason, decided we should support our irritating, this seems like I'm making it up to slightly off this, President Mr. Calvin Black in his campaign to become VP of postgraduates in the Students' Union. This was passed overwhelmingly, and, and so was a motion which supported the change of the SU motto to We Suck and We Don't Listen. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to take the minutes as read. Because I believe it was we don't listen, we don't care. They, have, uh, they don't listen, they don't care. They don't listen, they don't care. <laughs> but they yeah. have three. Sorry, we don't listen, we don't care. It's my motto. The president then tried to avoid president's questions, but the secretary pleaded for the president to not disgrace his office and face this music. Which uh, resulted in a triumphant Kardashian-related question from Mr. Olga McSparrow. 
Are there any items of private members business this day? Uh, Mr. Collin. Uh, I would like to ask the House if we could extend a motion to give birthday congratulations to Miss Chloe Ferguson. Yes, indeed.
question here that we're missing. Now that democracy has failed us, particularly you and I, is now the time for violence, particularly violence of the rights of the ginger people? Let me say, if you're back at no, now is not the time. I said as that time has long since passed. back from one union, <laughs> that we destroyed one bureaucratic dictatorship, and now we have the chance to destroy another. The EU. The only thing I would say about it, if we are to dismantle the union, is never forget these famous words. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have a debate about invading the student unions? <laughs> Another debate topic about uh, ending the show, keeping up with the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll second you that. Because I'll shut down another time. Um, I think that the key difference between the student union and Obi Wan Kenobi is he's not riddled with asbestos. <laughs> wires hanging from the ceiling, that if you were to do this, and I'm quite short, if you were to do that, you get immediately electrified. <laughs> so I think it is a risk to help. Has anyone been up to the top floor of the union? Uh -huh. if, if, if anyone's played any horror game for five years, imagine that only you're in it. <laughs> Are there any other points that seem to be in the yes, Mr. Bullen? Um, one thing, you said terrible, and then there's no need. One swift kick, and it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And that's anyone other that's in there? Yes, Mr. Bullen? We're all going to miss the speakeasy, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's a good one. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Bullen. Anyone else going once, going twice? Find more than the lotion and Mr. Hand. Yeah. We have heard the fine suggestion that we invade the Union, or more specifically, debate upon invading the Union. But debate is not enough, my fine. <laughs> For every second we debate, that foul building still stands. Therefore, I propose that you join me now and dismantle that foul establishment brick by brick! <laughs> This house would pull down the union before the summer. There you go. You've heard the motion, ladies 
and gents, can I get a seconder? Second. Second. All those in favor of motion, please raise your hand and say aye. Aye. All those against, say nay. Nay. All those now abstaining, say nay. There you go. So, oh, uh, three nays, three nays, and there are eyes and we can figure it out better. The motion passes overwhelmingly. Uh, so there you go. We win the third on you before the summer. Thank you very much, Captain. Uh, is yours going to do the thing you said about earlier? Uh, are there any other bits of private matters, Mr. Patton? Uh, I'm just going to ask about uh, that the society, uh, you got that to say. Uh, that society passed a motion of support for the Grand Wizard, to, Grand uh, Master of the Orange Order, uh, Spencer Beatty, who was it last week uh, attended the marriage of his daughter to a little woman in spite of the bigotry and there's many words I want to put in there that I just like to find uh, of the orange order, just to show that his love for his daughter has won out over that travesty of organisation. Interesting, very interesting. Uh, any discussion with Mr. Russian, uh, Mr. Sullivan? You see, on the one hand, yeah, I mean, he's part of an organisation which would be very, very close to that. I think it's quite brave of him to do it. On the other hand, loving your family is kind of the default, even if they're dead. So I'm not sure if it's worthy of congratulation because, you know, it took a lot of bravery to do, or unworthy of congratulation because it shouldn't require any bravery to do it. For most people, it doesn't. Thank you very much. Uh, I remember uh, I got to uh, have a um, uh, question and answer session with MLAs, and I asked, and I didn't really know much about politics back then, so I decided to ask a DP MLA, um, what, was it annoying seeing a law get passed that, um, that you didn't want to get passed? And he actually told the story about the fact that, you know, he's in the DP there against gay marriage, yet his daughter is gay. And, and the, the, the daughter, once he joined the, D, the DP, the daughter completely just went against him. So it is a very brave thing that he went against, you know, the organization and showed love for his daughter in that moment, in my opinion. Thank you very much, Ms. Well, uh, Ms. Cullen. I don't know if somebody should be congratulated about for doing the genuine nice person thing. Mm. Like, I don't know why that's be. Oh, congratulations on not being, sorry, a massive dick. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but I just don't know if that's been worthy of congratulations. I don't know why you being okay with somebody loving somebody else means you should be congratulated or the dog should be congratulated for facing opposition in her own society for being who she is. I'm going to get my anyone. Thank you, Mr. Cameron. Uh, Thank you. Um, well, I think that is quite an interesting point, um, and to, uh, to the degree I agree with it. Um, I think that in this instance, um, I think it's important, to, regardless of the intention behind it, uh, or taking that uh, previous speaker's ideas into account. I think it's important that we give support to, shall we say, uh, people who go against the grain in what is a disproportionately influential uh, organisation in our society, such as the Orange Order. And the other question, of course, is if they're not going to get support, uh, support from the Orange Order um, when they do that, in fact, they've been very silent on it, 
So if they don't get the support from common citizens such as ourselves, where are people like that going to get it? I suggest we uh, support the motion. Thank you very much, Captain Dalek. Uh, any other thoughts on the motion? Going once, going twice. Done, okay. We shall put the uh, motion to a vote then. Can I get you to reset the exact room, please? Uh, this house supports, uh, what is it, Grand Master, this is for the retired, uh, Spencer Beatty, in showing his love to his daughter in defiance of the Orange Order. Thank you very much. Can I get a second? Second. Second. second? All those in favor, please raise your hand and say aye. 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 So, the vote was 13 for, 1 against, and the rest were met, presumably 16. Yes, there we go, the house of stands, the house of stands. Uh, interesting. Uh, as far as I thought that was going to definitely go towards an actual uh, There we go, uh, Are there any other items of private members business? No, I just have the one then. Um, so, as all of you are presumably aware, uh, the results of the SG elections were announced last night. Are you my page, please? No, 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 because I'm going to do some quite specific. Um, so, obviously, I stood, I lost, don't care. Um, I've lost many a time before, doesn't bother me inside. However, um, what I would say is that a, another member of the House stood and was sadly defeated, uh, being Ms. Maria McCullen, uh, stood for VK Education, and alas, lost. Also, uh, not a member, but current visitor to the House, uh, Ms. Kat Rafferty, also stood uh, for VQ Welfare, and at one point uh, was within two votes of being in first place, but alas, uh, lost as well. Uh, I would ask the House, as is kind of semi-traditional at this point, uh, to join me in a rising course of, for she's a jolly good fellow, uh, it seems only right. Uh, just to remind the House, because uh, I think I might do this differently than some other people do. I would typically say that it's three uh, repetitions of for she's a jolly good fellow and so and then three repetitions of and so say all of us. So uh, quite often people think it's only the one. I would go with three. Yes, Mr. Tom? Surely given we have two people there and yourself, it should be for they are jolly good fellows. No, I don't need to be Stoked enough uh, up, up here, it's fine. Uh, but which one of them are we congratulating? Oh, okay. which is the winner of the set last year? If we say she, then it can only be one. Two, one, two, three, four. Oh, she's a jolly good bell. 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 Oh, she's a jol
be proud and that each year we inch ever closer to finally uh, infiltrating once and for all and, you know, making it explode from the inside. What's like the xenomorphs, We are the xenomorphs to the, the uh, SQ2 and the In any event, I think that'll just about do it for private members of this. Uh, on to a very quick round of President's questions. Mr. Rogers Ipsalan. Uh, I'd like to congratulate you on wonderful rendition and ask, uh, I know as you know, uh, men behind the wire, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly not sure I misheard you or if you just said some Irish. Uh, <laughs> and at this point, it could go either way. It's a bit of both, yeah. Okay, what, what did you just ask me? Uh, he asked if you know the lyrics to Man Behind the Wire. Man Behind the Wire? Ah, no, no, I did not. Okay. Is there, is there, would you like to clarify or...? No, 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 that's not I genuinely thought he'd said something in Irish there, and I was just... I was quite confused. Mr. Sullivan? Yeah. Mr. President, if you couldn't feed any SU... Which Kardashian would you which Kardashian would you have been? Seeing as how you tacked that on to the end of your actual question, I declined to answer the Kardashian, but um, which issue would I have been? Uh, I think the answer is obvious, Mr. Sullivan. There is only one issue that I would have and that is the issue of Lincoln Church. Lincoln Church! Truly a boring, dying with Lincoln Church, they are terrible people. Uh, yes, are there any other questions? Uh, Mr. Clark. <laughs> on the, the theme of asking you if you know about songs. Yes. Mm. Have you heard? Or, I don't know if have you heard of the song Rasputin by Bonnie M? And how popular a song? How well known would you say that song is? I think I might have heard of the song uh, if you were given the tune of the lyrics. I would probably. <laughs> Moscow chicks, he was such a lovely dear. He could teach the Bible like a preacher, full of ecstasy. <laughs> he also was the kind of preacher women would desire. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. 
know, air cut. The topic of USSR. Yes. Of Stalin, Trotsky, and Lenin. Which one do you think Kim Kardashian? Stop that! That was going somewhere. Which one do you think Kim Kardashian would want? The closest to life. Trotsky. Stop that! Stop that! Okay. Um, during the time that you were auctioned, yes. if the winner forced you to binge watch the Kardashians, <laughs> would you do it? And I'm interested, uh, what did they do with you after? <laughs> uh, I, if, if they were to make me dead, I, I would be obliged to under the terms of the contract, which are signed and sealed. Uh, and also, uh, they haven't made me do anything yet, uh, so I've been out of business for the past few weeks. No. I have not yet been able to offer my many skills. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm sure they're very much looking forward to it. Uh, so don't hate. What? You can not raise I am, I am Rupert Bradley, so ah, yes. I, I don't know that That's true. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the thing about songs, yes. um, and going with the USSR song, do you, are you familiar with the song Back in the USSR yes. by The Beatles? Yes. Good. Good song. Thank Good you. Song. Given all the snow and this the winter of our discontent with everything that's happened with the SU and everything else, but noting the providence of the amount of snow here compared to Dublin, would you agree we're still far better than Trinity? I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> is that even a question? I mean, that's, I'm sure that's enshrined in the law somewhere. Uh, Mr. Rogers, is that the same response? Quite obviously. More snow in Dublin means that the free yard is still a cold house core in search section of the population here. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Pat, were you going to let Mr. Nair defend this country? Let the foreigner have his chance. Mr. Nair and Mr. Pat. Uh, first off, I'm going to fight him with you, Lord. But uh, before I do so, uh, as we as we all learned from Hurricane Ophelia, uh, the border was about to couch. It's quite simply a circumstance where, uh, as our team has proved, the second a storm reaches the border, it sort of dissipates and doesn't exist anymore. So that's why we're fine. To link on the discussion we had last week about the new changes to Snapchat and all wonderful things, uh, there was a 6% die in their uh, worth in the stock markets this weekend. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> By the Kylie Jenner tweet. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. I actually heard about this story uh, later on. Pardon? Yes. And uh, no, that's where you're going. And so, Shame, thank you. You might like her. Um, no, I wouldn't say so. Um, personally. Um, that's all the answer I'm going to think about that question. Um, yes, I think I'm going to do it with questions, unless anyone would like to ask a proper one. 
Are you going to ask the proper one? Yes, I did last week, so I don't get it on. Oh, what do you think about this KFC chicken shortage fund? Oh. Um, I, that's another one. Uh, it's about chicken shortages. Uh, and what that has led to shortage of chicken across hundreds of outlets, hasn't it? Which has uh, caused them to shut down. Are they still closed? Mr. Dalton, I would expect you to know. If we're not friends, I'll go to the checking back. Um, I, this is interesting to me that in this age, once we did, something so seemingly as simple as switching up to strip uh, would cause such a problem. There we are. Mr. Conway, I'll let you close this out. I'm surprised that a shortage of chicken supply actually affected uh, KFC's revenue, given that uh, it isn't really the main ingredient of any of their products. Well, Sure, Mr. Rogers. Mm. You speak wrong. Calisan Fitch. Shin Fame. August Erlingus. <laughs> Chucky Erlingus. <laughs> <laughs> Fame, give me the wine back. Leave it be, August. <laughs> no! <laughs> we have a bun! Mr. Rogers, to that I would say Irish word for yes. Uh, are committed 
that, that will validate that what we should destroy the USSR in the beginning. In 19, uh, 19 um, during, uh, during World War II, when Russia invaded Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania, first of all, they forced people into the Russian citizenship. And secondly, they mass murdered, uh, they, uh, they removed people from their homes, and they uh, took them into, uh, forced them into concentration camps and to move back into Siberia. On that point. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. The second thing that Russia did once they de defeated uh, the Germans is that they committed mass rapes. They raped w uh, women and girls even uh, to the age of uh, uh, to the age of eight, and they, uh, they even went as far as they uh, they raped w women uh, from Poland that were that were freed from the concentration camps. <clears throat> Furthermore, uh, during the siege of Budapest. Uh, on the 13th of February 1945, there were 38,000 civilians killed, 13,000 died due to uh, military actions by the, uh, by the USSR army, 25,000 died from starvation, disease, and other causes due to neglect. And I would like to also add that when Russia uh, wanted to uh, start a war with Japan, they invaded their uh, the Manchurian territory and they uh, allowed their soldiers to pillage, rape, and kill people as they see fit, even though they, uh, they were, uh, they were hiding behind the action of defense. I would like to further add that when Russia invaded any country around the world uh, during World War II, they would, go, uh, they would steal money from their banks, they would shoot people uh, whatever they see fit, and the Russian government uh, would act as if nothing happened, and they pretended to protect the people. On that point, like every country during World War II did acts like this. I mean, Germany when it attacked Russia, pillaged, raped, um, got a lot of booty, killed people. It's just sort of the nature of warfare. And as much as I think it's disgusting and appalling that it happened, yeah. they're not doing anything that any other country didn't do. Well, it's true, but there are some ethics in war. And a lot, of, a lot of European countries signed uh, the Den Haag Convention, which is not to cross, uh, uh, there are some ethics that should be followed in war, whereas Russia refused, and then they killed a lot of people. So, as we know, the communist regime is not the best regime. And, and, and since the head of this regime is Joseph Stalin, who even tormented his son to the point that he wanted to commit suicide and he failed, and his remark was, you're too pathetic to the point that you can't even shoot yourself at point blank. And what's even worse is that when he was negotiating uh, to save the life of his son, he said his son is worthless, so let's go, uh, so take him and kill him. Is that, these are the few reasons we believe that Soviet Russia should have been stopped, at the, uh, uh, should have been, uh, stopped uh, from expanding. Any questions? Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned concentration camps that the Soviets used, yeah. uh, and lots of war crimes the Soviets do, but the British and the Americans did war crimes themselves. For example, the British created the concentration camps, uh, they were, the British occupied numerous countries, the Americans uh, killed quite a lot of civilians with the nuclear attacks, which in this time haven't happened yet, but will happen. How do you respond to that there? Well, I would say... Um well, the Russians, uh, sure, like war, uh, war you look at, you're going to have casualties one way or another. But Russians, they killed intentionally. They, uh, they did it 
out of fun. Like some, some, and uh, like the Allies, for example, they were uh, they were prosecuted. The soldiers were prosecuted when they were forced, uh, when they were caught doing an illegal act. Whereas the Russians, they didn't do anything about it. Any other questions? Go ahead. So, I mean, yes, Russia at this period was terrible, and I think most people can agree with that, but how would invading and going to war help, firstly, the rest of Europe, which would further throw into turmoil, and secondly, Russia itself? Because, yes, you got terrible soldiers, but not all Russians comes to mind, because not everyone was a raping, murdering psychopath. A lot of these people were victims of an incredibly corrupt regime. Can you clarify more the question, like, what... Well, I mean, if you're going to war, your argument is ethical that this yeah. is actually going to be the correct action. Yeah. All you're doing is you're going to end up massacring innocent people, which is exactly what the Germans and Napoleon did. Yeah. And all you're going to do is throw Europe into a much larger warfare if you're going through the English and American channels. Because you have to go through a now destroyed Germany post-war, a destroyed France, a destabilized economy. And all you're actually going to be doing is causing a much larger mass slaughter. Okay, yes, it's true. War, you're, uh, you're going to have casualties one way or another. But if uh, an army is intentionally killing people just for fun, like we know that war civilians are going to die one way or another. But if uh, a country is just killing people just for, uh, for the fun of it, then this country should be stopped. And we're not saying we're going to invade Russia and stay there. We're going to invade Russia. We're going to destroy the communist regime and going to replace it with another uh, with uh, a democratic, uh, democratic country which listens to the people. Thank you so much. Recent years. So I'd like to start with an overview of that pattern. 
sorry. Um, I would like to start with an overview of the global situation. So, if you look at the world in 1945, there is neither the opportunity nor the will to have a mass invasion of the USSR. We defeated Germany in May 1945, and I think we would all agree it would be foolish to invade the USSR before Germany was defeated, because we can't win a, a war. No, we just can't. Um, I will try and put that more fluidly. But, um, so, May is where I start. When, we, uh, when Germany had an unconditional surrender in May, troops across the world were celebrating the fact that peace was on the horizon. These were people who had fought for the last six years in desperation. These people had been mostly volunteers, mostly people who had been conscripted. These people did not want to fight for any longer than is necessary. And this can be seen by the fact that Within six weeks, we started having the repatriation of troops. We had massive mobilisation of American and UK troops from mainland Europe back to the home countries. Um, Britain started this uh, very quickly. You had pressure from industry, um, calling for workers from key sectors uh, to be repatriated so that the economy could start functioning again. Um, uh, one congressperson in America said that the troops were almost psychopathic with their anxiety to return home. Uh, you, one sec. Okay, um, and this can be seen by in January uh, 1946, which is about our time, but if you, you uh, let me digress, um, we had strikes both in the UK Army and in the US Army um, based on the fact that demobilisation was too slow. People wanted to go home, people were fed up of fighting a war in a foreign land away from their family. So we've got to May, where Germany surrenders, but we still have an ongoing uh, battle in the Pacific, which for the Americans, who were the strongest army, this is the most important battle, this is the reason they joined the war, because this was a threat to their interests. For Britain, this was a threat to our interests. It was a threat to India, who um, Japan was pushing onto the uh, border. Um, it was also a threat to Burma, and some of our other colonies in the southeast. Um, so we needed to deal with Japan before we could invade the USSR. On that point, yeah. at this point, Japan's navy has been almost entirely destroyed. Frankly, Japan is in no state to mount any sort of offensive against the US. Surely better to let the Japanese and the Russians soften each other up before we come in for the final blow. No, because the Russians hadn't joined the war against Japan until August, till after one of the nuclear bombs had dropped. They were still in a neutrality treaty up until April, and then they, whilst they didn't renew it, they didn't declare open war until later in the, in the defeat of Japan. Um, so, the war against Japan is important for three reasons. The human cost. The Japanese imperial desires ravaged Asia. Um, you talked about the brutality of the USSR. This was magnified, because this was... Um, Unending, it, and it was against their own people as well as um, the people of the, of the continent. Um, secondly, it was a threat to the British colonial interests, as I said. And third, it was pride, pride and morale. For the America, the reason they entered the, the war was because of Japan's uh, attacks and because of Japan's aggression. Oh, no, now, let me finish. Um, so, the US entered on the proviso of self defense. Do you think that the troops who were there conscripted, volunteering for the defence of their country and for the 
peoples of the earth would then forego that fight to invade, uh, to be aggressors to another country. I don't think so. Um, so before the USSR, uh, before any invasion of the USSR, Japan had to be defeated because that was the main war. But in order to defeat Japan, the USSR was needed. We needed their support. You mentioned the Manchurian invasion. This was, uh, so the Manchurian invasion happened between the nuclear, uh, nuclear bomb dropped and uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The bomb in Nagasaki was not just a warning to, uh, to the USSR, rather just a means of defeating Japan in itself. And following on from a conversation I had not 40 minutes ago in the bar of Fibbridge McGee, the bombing for Hiroshima aside, can you defend the bombing of Nagasaki? Um, I'm going to ignore the last one because no, I'm not here to defend that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, in terms of the threat to the USSR, yeah, I, I'm sure it was. But uh, the fact is, in order for Japan to surrender, Russia needed to invade from the north, needed to invade because it defeated the one million strong uh, army that Japan had. It was the largest land force that Japan had accumulated, and it was instrumental in bringing Japan to an unconditional surrender. So then we get to September. So, the months are wearing away. Mm -hmm. And what has happened in the, the nine months leading up to September that leaves us in a position where we can invade one of the strongest powers in the world? Well, we've had demobilisation across Europe. Troops have now uh, started to go back to America, to UK, uh, in the Pacific. We've had Roosevelt die in April, a change of leadership in America, and then Clement Attlee was uh, elected in May. Yeah. These were elected reconstructionist and long-term peace agenda. There was not the will for these people to invade. You also had communist gains in China, in uh, Vietnam, in France. 26% of the vote went to the Communist Party. The Communist Party of Italy was vital in reintroducing democracy. There was not the will or the military strength uh, to have this. And if you could have the blood of millions of people by, on your hands because of ego, then so be it. Ordinarily, I would ask the host for a second round of applause for a bit of speech. However, that pun was so bad. I'm very tempted not to, but I will. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't officially propose it, so you can't say it. To continue the case of the proposition, the man who lobbied for this motion for about a year and a half. <laughs> Secretary saying he would only ever support this motion if I could get it in less than seven words, despite the original wording of it being less than seven words. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, we live in a world split perpetually along one line good against evil, right against wrong, freedom, my friends, against totalitarianism. The war we are just now concluding in Europe is clearly. The struggle of democracy against the mad and totalitarian rhetoric of Hitler, Mussolini, and Tiberius. During this war, it has been necessary to ally ourselves with those who we did not agree with, because they were a lesser evil. It must be said, however, that while our ally in the East 
was instrumental in the defeat of Mr. Hitler. They did not do so for the same reasons as us. I am talking, of course, about the Soviets. Because while we fought for our freedoms, our right to express ourselves and think and do as we wish, the Soviets pretty much just fought for the survival of their own regime. Make no mistake, the Soviets are like us. They didn't believe in freedom. No, thank you, sir. They didn't believe in democracy. They're quite frankly nearly as bad, or even worse. On that point? No, thank you. <laughs> for even as the Nazis conquered the weak and spread their ideology of hatred across Europe, so too can we expect the Soviets to force their ideology of authoritarianism and envy upon Europe if we do not stop them. Again. On that point. Who will come to Poland's aid when Stalin comes knocking? Who will come to Finland's? To Estonia's? Yeah. This is our answer. That our allegiance is to freedom and democracy. We are so thankful. We have a sacred duty to uphold, to defend the weak from the ravages of the strong, and to raise up the shining light of democracy against the encroaching crimson tide of darkness and fear. Ah! Point. No. <laughs> no. While I think it's therefore well established that we have an obligation to help Europe. After all, when we served fat to boil before Poland, we left Poland to die. We won't do that again. <laughs> a lot of you might ask still, why not? After all, Europe has been beaten and bruised by this war, and its people are loath to suffer enough. To this I say, because we must act now. We hold, in this instant, a position of strength, logistically, technologically, and strategically. Strength which the Soviets will soon match if we do not nip them in the bud as soon as possible. Thank you. An area of logistics. The Soviets rely on our aid to fuel their war machine. Transports of supplies and material from the White Sea have been incredibly important to their war efforts. Frankly, most of their supply trains are American trucks, which we supply to them. Sure, go ahead. Uh, you failed to take into account all the numerous factories that were captured by the Soviets in Eastern Europe. Uh, Eastern Europe has countless resources and countless factories. They did fuel the Nazi war machine, after all. You're not wrong there. But, I mean, we do have a lot more factories, which means that while they will have additional resources, if we protect those quickly enough, they won't be able to levy those as well as the Nazis were able to, because the Nazis held them for a long period of time. And I think it's quite telling that the opposition is completely willing to just go, oh well, let's just give Poland to the Soviets. <laughs> it's not like anyone's ever done anything bad after invading Poland after all, right? <laughs> now, we need to strike before their evil can become self-sufficient, before they can truly manage to not need us to fuel their evils. On that point? No, thank you. In technology, we have an exceptional advantage. On that point? No, you go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Well, in actuality, that's a complete myth. And Soviet technology, in terms of war machines, is fairly even to Western technology at that time. You're simply quoting a piece of revisionist history. So the Soviets are still trundling around in relics from 1940. 
while the Americans are bringing to the battlefields of Europe. While the Americans are not bringing to the battlefields of Europe the M26 Pershing, the tank of the future. <laughs> and even more impressive, the British centurions. What Russian can claim the benefits of a tea kettle in their other vehicles? In skies, too. We have the advantage of a modern jet-powered fighter. The Soviets don't have that. The Soviets can't bring anything to bear near so technologically advanced as the cutting-edge research that the British and the Americans have brought to this war. On that point. No, thank you. No. <laughs> Strategically, the Soviets will be fighting a war to France. In the East, the Japanese have frankly ceased to be a credible threat to the Americans. The Japanese cannot attack the East anymore. Their navy has been destroyed. The only thing left to do in the East is mount an invasion. And no thank you. And I think most of us would be rather loath to waste millions of men to invade the islands of Japan. I say, let the Soviets and the Japanese stop each other up. They are, after all, quite opposed to each other. The Soviets are supporting the People's Republic of China which is itself opposed to nationalist China, which is itself allied to Japan. The Soviets and Japanese have a very unamicable relationship. I think it's reasonable to say that they would want to fight each other. And it's not like Japan's going anywhere, it's likely going to get stronger. Japan's completely starved of resources right now. And they're not going to be getting any more, considering they don't have a navy anymore. No, we have a golden opportunity, my friends, here and now. To stand the tide of communism before it infect the rest of Europe. If we continue to appease Hitler and amble into a war in his terms, who can say where we would be not? Now, if we don't take this opportunity to end the threat of communism, who knows what the future might hold? A red Poland? A red Germany? A red Britain? Yeah. <laughs> we may have defeated the devil, ladies and gentlemen. But his cousin lives on in Moscow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Solomon, for that speech that you're clearly waiting for much too long to get. Uh, I would now like to welcome uh, yet another main speaker uh, for the opposition, uh, Mr. Colin McCoskey, to continue. Yeah. This is an opinion that I respectfully, but nonetheless, 
wholeheartedly disagree with. My reasoning for this is quite simple. Numbers. Yes, cold logic is a daunting thing, but then numbers don't lie. For example, Operation Unthinkable is the plan that the Chief of the Army, Sir Alan Brooke himself, of Britain, called Fanciful. The Allies were outnumbered 2.5 to 1 by every Soviet man with a gun. That's a big number difference. On that point. Sure, why not? I think you'll find that most of the Soviet army at this point is teenagers because all of the men are dead. They lost 10% of their population, they have no manpower left. If we start killing their troops, they're not going to be replacing them fast. Anybody who can hold a gun can fire us. Doesn't matter. <laughs> That's a simple fact. Bullets fire from guns and fingers pull triggers. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> On that point. Now trying to start the point. So, I don't know. So, the cornerstone for the operation Unthinkable Success, as laid out by the then Prime Minister Winston Churchill, was surprise. Now, the opposition the proposition says that they can get to the Soviet Union with their knickers down, run them out of the way. Yes! Yes you could. And I'm afraid to say I have no counter-arguments. You know, I've got nothing for you. Oh, there's one thing. Stalin has countless spies with London. The moment Operation Unthinkable went to paper, he knew. he knew what was coming. He would have been waiting on the border. Every man he could find armed, every tank rolling on the hill. On that point? Uh, yes. If Stalin has a lot of spies in London, wouldn't that be another good reason to invade because he is listening into our government's secrets? Counterpoint, the Britain also has spies in Moscow. So, uh, so but uh, so, we'll go away from that feasibility of just how this invasion is going to go. And let's say we give the, the proposition the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that the surprise works for the Red Army. Veterans of Stalingrad and conquerors of Berlin were caught on the ropes. You still have to conquer Russia. And to do it before winter, you'll have at most six months. It's quite the feat. The Wehrmacht couldn't do it. How could the less, frankly, remnants of the Allies do it. On that point, sir. <laughs> not now. And what if you take Moscow? That's not the end. I didn't win it for Napoleon, and I won't win it now. Let's talk about feeding this army. There's both a famine and a refugee crisis going on in Europe right now. These men have mouths. They have to eat. An army marches on its stomach, let's not forget. On that point. Uh, not right now. So I'd like to say, let's not let the tanks roar across Europe once more. Let the dead rest. Over 72 million people died in the Second World War. Are you really willing to restart the cycle of death? On that point. Not that, I'll get the next one. I will not uh, presume to put into words the true horror of war and the carnage that goes with it. Such a human tragedy is beyond my personal description. However, the one that I found that came closest to this was Lawrence Olivier's account in the fantastic series The World of War. Down this road, on a summer's day in 1944, the soldiers came. Nobody lives here now. They stayed only a few hours. When they were gone, a community that had lived for a thousand years was dead. On that point. Nobody lives here now. Yes. <laughs> do you believe that we should have intervened in Europe, or do you think we should have let the Nazis have free reign? 
I'll cover that point at the end. This is what we're doing Sir Gilman in France. On this day the soldiers came, the men were taken to the barns, the women and children were led to the church. There they heard the firing as their men were executed. Then they too were killed. A few weeks later, many of those who had done the killings themselves were dead. They never did and never will rebuild or endure. Its ruins are a memorial. Its martyrdom stands for thousands upon thousands of other martyrs. In Poland, in Russia, in China, in Burma, in a world of war. Anyone who proposes a replication of this monstrosity for small symbolic gains is wrong. And that is why I say don't invade the Soviet Union. Choose peace, choose life, and most of all, choose the end of conflict. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rikowski. I was utterly terrified for a moment there. We were about to get another rendition of the friend's spelling speech. <laughs> It is plain as day 
Fact. Also Russia, threatens Katya Navulasi just as much as did the Nazi Reich. And so, if we are true to our initial war aims those few years ago, we cannot allow Karl Warcha to suffer under the crushing Jack Boot, the crushing, uh, the crushing bad crack <laughs> of the Soviet Jack Boot, as they did under the Tsarist imperialist yoke. They are looming, they're looming shadow, no, wait. Their looming shadow has made its way, creeping across the continent to our sceptre dial. As we have seen, through such insidious happens as ours, the Zenobiev letter, published into the public view by those stalwart patriots of the Daily Mail. <laughs> they have seduced the British Labour Party as the foot soldiers of their song domestic plot. Can Mr. Hummel deny the affection of his party for Moscow? Oh, no. oh, well, no, it is. Um, only if you can deny the affection that said newspaper of patriotic Ed supported the Nazi regime. <laughs> I can, I wrote a letter. <laughs> Communism is merely the old tin pot socialism with machine gun decor to add effect to their affections and make their Sundamite delusions work. On that point? No oh, yeah. <laughs> Today, we... Oh, thank you for the wine. Today, we... I will go Is this not just another attempt by Mr. Churchill to prolong his power in peace times? The first quarter that was Churchill, I'm now moving on to Paisley. <laughs> Today, we see on the continent conditions which bear a resemblance to the conditions which existed at the Battle of Lepanto in 1571. There is an infidel invasion of nearly every country in Europe. That invasion may be resisted and repelled by a superior culture and philosophy of life, only to be found in the one true, holy and apostolic Catholic Church. <laughs> the Communist Party of Great Britain, of which Mr. Hubble and his kids subscribed. Judging by his haircut, I'm the very least. Would tan our promise of Lionel Monster <laughs> to Devalera and his glucose-sucking <laughs> hordes. <laughs> In short, <laughs> Semicolon, DR. <laughs> 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 
It's a bit much. <laughs> Allied bases in Western Europe. On that point, 
Um, can I justify first what I'm saying and then I'll be going? It's specifically on the rockets. Oh, hold up, please, please. Um, <laughs> to accept them. The A-29 fighter aircraft had a range of only 1,500 to 1,700 miles in 1945. Thus, American pilots bombing Russian targets would have been forced to undertake one-way suicide missions unless they view it four bases, and they could be very vulnerable to attack from B-2 rockets. I'm sorry, I'm a bit passionate for um, uh, I would also argue um, we talked it again that the planners of operation uh, unthinkable and visage swift military success due to an element of surprise with its targets achieved well before a crippling Russian winter, said in avoiding at all costs a total war between East and West. However, I would contend that proposed preparations for the invasion in British and American zones in Western Germany and throughout Northern Europe would have immediately alerted Soviet agents as to their intentions, thus squandering any element of surprise. And this brings me um, to another point made by the first speaker, he said that um, the British and America, uh, any stakeholders in invading the Soviet Union, which would be uh, Britain, America, um, some Polish forces, and we'll uh, talk later about uh, the German contribution, um, they actually had stronger armies than the Red Army. Um, on the 1st of July 1945, the scheduled date for Operation Unthinkable, the Red Army numbered 7 million men. Six million of whom were in the front line Western theatre in the event of an Allied invasion of Soviet satellites as a means to reach Russian territory, outnumbering Allied divisions by four to one. Um, the Allies could muster 47 armed divisions, uh, dwarfed by the Red Army's capability of mustering 170. Thus, without the element of surprise and with highly unfavourable odds mounting against them, a British and American invasion of West Germany in 1945 with designs to quickly advance the goal in the Soviet Union, would at best lead to stagnation and stalemate, and at worst would hand the opportunity to the Red Army commanders to push Britain and America out of West Germany altogether in a swift counter-offensive. Now, um, General, called General Sir Alan Brooke, um, in rejecting Operation Unthinkable Plans as hazardous and completely unfeasible, emphasised that suggestions to mobilise 700,000 Wehrmacht troops and the invasion of Russia was extremely foolish uh, because there were, I actually had, I've them now, but I had uh, a shortened copy of the Operation Thinkable Plans, which were uh, published to the Public Records Service in 1998. And there were no plans to retrain these troops who had been enemies of the various stakeholders until, you know, like May 1945. And they would also uh, mobilise public opinion in uh, Britain against them. I've run out of time, but I do want to conclude. Despite being a brilliant military tactician, how can we expect Mr. Hugh Dobbin to lead a standing army in this House's campaign to invade the Soviet Union? Given that it is only a matter of time before the newspapers reveal Russian involvement in Mr. Calvin Black's electoral campaign, but when you are casting your vote tonight on this motion, spare thought for our diligent secretary, who will be condemned to a life of conjuring up new ways to express the phrase, in today's progress, we moved General Dobbins' drinks cabinet two inches closer to Moscow. <laughs> it is not the Soviet Union that threatens this house with satellite status, but rather it is Mr. Russell Nairn, who intends to create a puppet society council here in the Derby on behalf of the Queen's players. Must I urge you to reject this motion in favour of, of a new one? This house would invade bookfinders. <laughs> Thank you.
Mr. Goblin takes the floor to give the closing speech for the proposition. Give him a hand. is the one planning an invasion, so does it not strike you that he's the murdering warmonger and psychopath? No. Yeah. Uh, the point of this analysis no, is to no, say... No, 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 no. The point of this analysis is to say whether or not we believe that the Soviet Union is a large enough danger, and then my second point will be to analyse the benefits, costs and analysis of the war itself. So when we analyse Stalin, who he was, we planned on doing, it's not a figure who can be trusted. And in 1945, was he going to be poisoned? Ten years later and found lying in a pool of his own vomit or whatever the story was? We didn't know. He could have reigned for another 20 years, another 30 years, and he would have enslaved, pillaged, murdered as many as he needed to get the security for his reign that he ever so craved. The satellite states, that's not something that's been made up enough tonight. They were there, yes, so you talk about enslaved, killing, uh, starving. Uh, India, under Churchill, was a very nice place. Um, we don't know if it's going to get independence. The British might go back to their problems like they've done so many times before. I don't believe we're here debating the dissolution of the British Empire. We had a very nice one on it last night, but that's not what we're here to say. <laughs> 
was the British Empire ethical? Was the British government ethical? Were their actions in foreign countries ethical or justified? Probably not. We're here to discuss what we believe the USSR was doing, not what we believe the British Empire could do with its foreign policy within its own states. And when we look at what the Soviet Union did, we need to condemn their actions, not do what the opposition have done and sidestep how they decided to enslave half of Europe. And when we look at it, then there's this clear ideological difference that we were talking about, that of totalitarianism versus the democracy. Once you're advocating freedom, you're advocating change, as the British Empire was doing, as the moves were towards in the latter half of the 20th century, the move that the Soviet Empire was not making. And that's what it was. It was the creation of an empire, the empire that was prescribed in the Communist Manifesto that they were to spread throughout Europe and throughout the rest of the globe. However much blood needed to be spilled, however many rights needed to be curtailed, whatever it took to ensure that the planet bled red. And that, no, <laughs> that, I believe that that justifies that analysis of it. That we look at the Soviet Union, what it was, where it was headed, what it did after the war, and where it was going to go, and whether or not we should invade. I think that makes a compelling case. It was a dictatorship, it was totalitarian, they were murderers, they were pillagers, they were willing to sacrifice anything they needed in order to put, pit themselves against the West. This leads into the second point we need to analyze tonight. This is the war itself. The logistics, the practicality, the philosophy, and I will say this, is that to a certain extent I believe what the opposition have tried to do is to make this too much of a specific numbers game. Obviously, we need to have an analysis of armaments, of troops, of nations, but the degree to which they've done isn't conducive. We're going to say exactly what point in 1945 we're going to stage an invasion, exactly what missiles, what tanks we have, where they're going to send them, because we're not the military analysts. But when we look at things at a broader context, this is where we come into Matthew Sullivan's speech, in that I believe that our side is in a far better job tonight of proving the West's might, Britain's might, the Allies' might, against the Soviet Union, and that in that situation they have the possibility of victory. And we need to ask what the end result of this war is. What stability does this bring? And I can tell you this, it's about where motivation for a war comes from, and what the alternative was to invading the Soviet Union. If these satellite states remain, if instead of the collapse brought on by a war, the Soviet Union does fester for the other half of a century until it leads to its total collapse to a Russia that is to this day still mistrustful of the wider world. A war can be motivated by many things. It can be motivated by fear, what a nation will do to you, by anger towards what one has done to you, to jealousy for the resources. But what did happen between the West and Russia was a war of hatred, because it was a war where a bullet was never fired. The message was sent in the Cold War, where the West told Russia, we hate you, we don't want you to exist. We'll never trust you, your way of life, how you supply things, your resources, economy, media. We don't want it there. And that's continued to this day. Russia does not trust the West to this day because of the impacts of that war. You can compare how Japan feels about the US. They appreciate its rule, how it governs. Russia does not. If we invaded the Soviet Union, there would not have been the same level of a totalitarian empire which gripped Europe for half a century. And I can say definitively that it would have been much better if we had invaded the Soviet Union in 1945. Thank you. Thank you very much.
So are we supposed to expect countries now to submit to the US as well? Is that what he's trying to say? I'd also like to say, I'm pointing to Mr. Sullivan, that he's a very Star Wars-esque view of the world, that there's a light and a dark side, and that we should just um, simply not look at this as some sort of shades of grey. <laughs> we should have, uh, no, I'm telling you um, well, we should look at it in a black and white context whenever any war, any war, is not a simple matter of black and white. And actually, we're open and joke here, and I did not think I was going to make one, so there you go. But um, anyway, no, we have the opposition. We are not here to give a defence of the Soviet Union. We are not here to argue the ideological merits of capitalism or communism. We here acknowledge that the Soviet Union is not perfect. We acknowledge that Joseph Stalin is a bloodthirsty old dictator who has been responsible for the deaths of millions. However, the reality is that going to war in Eastern Europe and by extent the Soviet Union is absolutely ludicrous. Now, in analysing this, a lot of us have the benefit of hindsight with the fact However, we can't do that. We have to look at it from 1945. We need to look at this war from three different perspectives. Militarily, economically, and morally. Now, there's just been a massive geopolitical event happened called World War II. Now, if we were to look at Pierre Campbell and the current affairs society back in 1945, they wouldn't be arguing about Trump and Brexit, they would be arguing about the division of Germany, the moral rights of having used the atom bomb in Japan. This is current affairs then, they've just had a massive war. And quite frankly, the people of the world do not want another one. They yearn for freedom, they do not yearn for more bloodshed at this time. However, since the proposition is proposing invading a war on the Soviet Union, I think it's only fitting that we analyse it properly, what will be the cost and what will be the benefits. Now, military strength is something that's been talked about a lot tonight, and there is one issue which pretty much goes hand in hand with military strength, and that is the idea of nuclear bombs. America has some, the Russians don't. I won't deny that fact. However, America's nuclear bombs in this war are absolutely useless. Now, you can say all you want, they can blow up cities, they can blow up cities, however, they're not missiles, they're bombs, they have to be brought on planes. Now, I've got here with me the B-29 bomber, the most advanced bomber in the world. This is the range it gets to. Yeah, it can hit Moscow, it can blow up a couple of nice cathedrals, and you can also really piss off a couple of Ukrainian goat herders. But... <laughs> <laughs> It will not damage the Russian military industrial complex, which is outside of the range of this bomber. On that point. From one minute, if we're launching from Germany and Britain. Yes. Even if we can't destroy their factories in Siberia, we can certainly destroy all of the railways which bring that material to the front. If they don't have the capability to bring their supplies to their soldiers, their soldiers won't have supplies and they will be easily crushed. You're going to do that with the two bombs you already used to blow up to Palma. Can I go back right now because he asked me a question? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, without nuclear weapons, this suddenly turns into a conventional war. If this turns into a conventional war, this is going to go down. Oh, sorry. 
Oh, but not okay. I'll run ahead and speak, please, sir. Yes, the first turn to conventional war, this will be fought on three fronts air, naval, and land, like World War II was. Now, I want to address a common misconception that's been going around by the proposition. All night they've been talking about the technological superiority of the West. That point is another point in revisionist history, which is complete rubbish, they have been saying. Now, when we look at the Air Force, I will not deny, bombers, Americans have the advantage. B-29s can take superior payload, not as fast as Russian bombers, but they can take superior payload, being able to drop 5 tons of bomb, as opposed to 1.6 tons. However, when it comes to fighters, the Yakolev 79 and 3 are infinitely superior to Spitfires and American fighters at that point at that time, and actually, during the war, the Messerschmitt pilots were told by their German commanders to disengage, as they would not be a Yakolev as opposed to a Spitfire. Well, so, Air Force, no. so, Air Forces are fairly even, and even if the B-29 bombers, by some miracle, get through, they're going to face an absolute fleet of Yakolevs, which are going to shoot them down before they even get a chance to No! Launch their news. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding naval strength, I'm not going to lie. The US and Britain have got superior in the Soviet Union and they can't blockade them. However, the Soviet Union has this big advantage called Siberia where it can get oil, titanium, it's got farms there, where it can pretty much feed and arm itself indefinitely. So, yeah, on that point. Well, since the United States has Alaska, couldn't they invade from that part and destroy everything? Gotta get through Canada first of all, like, you know, and then got to also bring fleets of ships up there. And then well, yeah, but chances are, chances are that the Soviets will probably retaliate and attack Alaska again. I'm not gonna lie, it is a solution. However, crossing Siberia, all what, 10,000 miles of it just to get to Moscow, it's gonna be difficult for anyone to wrap on off in North But anyway. Um, naval strength superior. I think we've got the address issue of land strength as well. Now, the British, oh, Chiefs, of Staff, no, the British Chiefs of Staff deemed that operational thinkable, as we've talked about, is completely unfeasible. There was no way that Russia could easily be conquered. Now, I'm going to presume that they were, you know, in the middle of this war, they knew what they were talking about when they said we couldn't invade Russia. The Soviets outnumbered the Allies by a ratio of 2.5 to 1 in terms of actual soldiers, not in terms of division. Now, even by some miracle, if the Allies get men there, they're then going to face the T-34 tank, heralded by most people as the most advanced tank in the world at that time. The um, fucking young chap with a bald haircut sitting on it is me. Actually, it's past the front, you can see the observer getting a nuclear bomb to Russia, just around the room here. So even by some miracle, if in June they push on to Russia, they're then going to face a Russian winter. So you've automatically got that disadvantage and fighting a winter war in Russia, as Hitler and Napoleon have taught us, isn't a good idea. Now, as I said earlier, I've discussed economics in this war. To put it bluntly, Americans have a brilliant war. <laughs> their economy, their military industrial complex has increased tenfold. However, Let's say they invade the Soviet Union, and like Hitler before them, their military industrial complex suddenly stalls further the war goes on. Would it not be very damaging for them to continue this war? Would it not just be a matter of suffering for everyone? Morally, this is completely unjustifiable war. I'm just going to finish up here. 72 million people have died during this war. <laughs> 72 million people have died during World War II. The Russians lost 27 million people. They don't need any suffering. There are soldiers from 
Tennessee, Missouri, Alabama, they want to go home. And I think it's right that they do go home. And in conclusion, I want to say this, morally this is not right. The Soviets helped defeat Hitler, the most evil man who ever lived. And militarily, this one cannot be won. I'm going to end the quote from the Princess Bride. <laughs> there are two classic blunders. Never go against the Sicilian when death is on the line. Perhaps more famous is never get involved in a long war in Russia. Uh, I would point out to members of the House that if you're ever speaking uh, and think that you could do with just a little extra time or after your speech, uh, you can ask for an extension. Uh, however, as you didn't do that, Mr. McSparren, and as you went a minute and 15 seconds over your last time, I think that it is only right that I find you. Not quite as bad as Emily Walker. No, that's be fair to her. Like halfway through the second act of her speech that time, turned to Andrew Grover's party or something, ringing the bell, and he went, Fuck it, I'll buy your port. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quote that also a humorous scale, and I already find you on some. It's within the archives. Yes, uh, 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 um, I, also, I have been talking with the archives. I'll, I'll come to yes, the story. Yes, I'm Above all, ports, the cheapest you can find. Will you go to the house next week if you wouldn't mind? This is the cheapest I can find. Literally. Yes, it's also empty, Mr. Crowley. It's not not. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. The time is getting away from us. Uh, just before we move to questions, uh, one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning. Uh, we are going up to University of Ulster uh, Coleraine's campus on Wednesday. That is this Wednesday. It's on your papers. The 7th. Uh, we have to be there for half two, so a delegation uh, shall be setting forth from uh, either a tank or City Central or just one of the train stations uh, to Coleraine. If you're interested in coming along, uh, please do. Uh, an event page will be up if it's not already, and message me if you want any more details. Hopefully, the society will be able to cover at least some of the training costs, probably not very much, but I believe. Uh, Miss Dobbin says a return ticket should be about 12 quid, so nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I only ever get a single, a single 770. Yes, I did. 12 quid sounds about right considering the traffic work. So, uh, if you're interested, then please do come along. It should be a very fun day out. Normally we yeah, but the thing is, though, like, Korean is dreadful. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Even unionists agree with that statement. Even unionists. Well then, well then. But yes, so yes, if you're interested in coming along, please do. Uh, there will be more info in the next day, hopefully tomorrow, I'll get into the source of the line. Also, seeing as how um, our social officer isn't here, and uh, the more uh, alcohol receptive, shall we say, members of the council aren't here either, uh, I am unilaterally deciding that rather than going to woodworkers this week, uh, as it is quite cold, as we've noticed, let's try Town Square instead. That's very safe. Woo! Yeah, let's try it. Why not? Of course, let's. May it not be there. So it's safe for us then. Anyway, are there any questions for the proposition? Mr. David! Anyway. Order, order. Okay. Um, 
I hate to give a question to the third speaker because the proposition, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I would like. Uh, that's just not a question. Okay. No, I'll make it one. Could the third speaker's proposition please justify his usage of a quotation from Sir Winston Churchill that was made in nine, I believe March 1946 in Fulton, Missouri, when the order paper clearly says 1945 for invasion. second half of my my speech was uh, largely um, paraphrases of quotations from Bishop Paddy Agnew, (laughs) the Cypher Ma Nationalist Party candidate in 1945. Um, So, slight chronological embellishments I don't really care about. (laughs) I shall take this point to uh, make a point that I forgot to make earlier. Now you are. Now you are. Now you are. Now you are. Very short. Very short. Well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is this a couple of lines? Okay, a couple of lines. I would have been done by now. Okay, well, there. Myself and the esteemed Dr. Gross um, are joined in a state of concurrence um, in the hobble as a nominative suffix is lacking somewhat. And we would both encourage the right honourable gentleman to adopt the familial. Um, uh, d- d- uh, denominum uh, of Agni. <laughs> okay, uh, I presume that was a reference or a joke that has flown over everyone's head, yeah. uh, as can be evidenced by the <laughs> noise uh, that was hard to like. But, anyway. but I promised I would say it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Anyone coming up? Care to respond to that point about, uh, but still, change your name. Actor. Mr. Hubble. Thank you for taking such a notice of me, I'm very flattered. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned me quite a lot. Um, I, I would just say on, on your point, uh, the fact that um, Sir used uh, uh, Mr. Churchill at all shows he clearly has no regard for morals in, in any case. Yeah. <laughs> he clearly has no regard for freedom because Mr. Mr. Churchill was very aligned to the way of thinking of uh, a certain Mr. Hitler and a certain um, school of eugenics uh, that believed in the lesser people of the world should be subjected. So. Thank you very much for doing that, Are there any questions now for the opposition? Mr. Beckett? <laughs> Given that in 1948 America and many of the Allied countries would go to the extensive cost and political upheaval of establishing Israel because of the damage done to the Jews, is it not pertinent to consider the invasion of the USSR as a moral action considering the amount of Jews that were slaughtered under communism both through being sent to Siberia and the outlying villages, which even one Nazi officer described as justification that even the, the we didn't. Uh, the we may not have gone far enough if this what this is what the Russians are doing to their own people. Thank you very much. Uh, could Sir, who from the Alpha care to take that? <laughs> Mr. McFarren. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the state of Israel was formed. It was endorsed by the Soviet Union initially as a state um, in 1949. It wasn't until the late 60s that started to get issues with each other whenever the Israelis aligned themselves with the Americans. However, I mean, any actions that were committed against the Jews under the Russian regime were, of course, atrocious and should be condemned to um, condemned. 
However, I think the start of our world war, which will result in millions more deaths after the mass slaughter that Europe just encountered, is completely stupid. I think that the Jews should be obviously resettled and um, should have their human rights taken into consideration after the true travesty was committed against them by Nazi Germany. But I would say the Soviet forces did liberate our switch in 1945 as well. Thank you, Mr. McSpire. Anyone from the prop? Anyone respond? Mr. Sullivan. <coughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think not a lot has been made about the fact that the Soviets were quite nearly as bad as the Nazis in a lot of senses, and perhaps even worse than some. Here, here. Because <laughs> I mean, they had absolutely no qualms like sending their own people and other people's to what were clearly concentration camps and labor camps in Siberia. And I think that the opposition really fails to consider that while clearly, I think everyone would agree, that the war against Germany was entirely worth the losses that we suffered, they seem to think that even though Russia is actually a bit worse, they seem to think that suffering the same losses wouldn't be worth it a second time. And I would question why they don't want to stop literal genocides from occurring in other countries. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Are there any uh, questions now that will be abstained in the motion? I can be directed equally to both sides. I would point out that uh, the sooner that we are out of here, the sooner you're all back into the cold. Uh, so, <laughs> find a question. I don't want to go back right there. It's so cold. I'm going to phrase this politely, but whatever. Uh, given the focus this debate on the moral difference between the Allies and the USSR, do you really believe that is a adequate justification for going to war, especially considering the uh, concentration camps were pointed out by uh, the last example? The Americans also used concentration camps in their own citizens during the Second World War. The British used a lot of concentration camps at various points. Do you really believe that this level of moral superiority is enough to justify a war that will cost millions upon millions of lives? Thank you, Mr. Patton. Here's one of the props that Karen responds to that. Mr. Sullivan. Thank you. Well, Zucker sort of slowly moved to stand up and see if anybody else did. No one did, so I guess I won't respond to this. Yes, I would fully admit that the internment camps in America weren't really a good thing. And the British Empire certainly has used what can only really be described as concentration camps throughout their empire. But I think there is a key difference here between what the Americans and the British have done in these places and what the Germans and the Soviets have done. The Germans and the Soviets take people to remote locations and they either exterminate them or they force them to work to death. Whereas the Japanese in the internment camps in America, while admittedly, again, they lived in a prison camp, they weren't forced to, I don't know, manufacture bombs that would kill their allies. The Japanese were, well, I, I, keep, I keep being about to say they were treated relatively well. They weren't. But they, they weren't forced into horrible labor that would have killed them, and they were exterminated. No, I, I don't think it's reasonable to compare the camps that the British and the Americans used to the ones that the Soviets and the Germans and the Japanese have used. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. And who from the off would care to respond? Yeah. Oh, that's a good 
Yeah, well, obviously concentration camps by any nation are an atrocity. I mean, like labour camps as well are also an atrocity. I'm just going to add, but I mean, I would say big imperialist stuff. Big imperialistic powers always um, have problems that they do, and I will acknowledge that Soviets are no different in that fact. However, I mean. Soviets have fans under them, they had uh, concentration camps as well. If you say, look at the um, British or the French and the British in 1840 for the famine, like, what happened in Ireland? Like, you've got to ask that question. So, should we be invading the Soviets for atrocities? Or should we just invade every part for atrocities committed? It just leads to more death. So, it's really not a feasible solution. Right, thank you very much for inspiring. I am tired. We all look very tired since some of you are finally out of questions, if we can even muster that. Can we have a question for the proposition? Excellent. I will take Mr. Clark. <clears throat> the proposition has said that this is sort of a golden opportunity to attack the Soviets, and now they will only become more powerful if we leave them. But, given the clear moral and practical superiority of capitalism, surely we should leave the Soviets to rot and fester on their own, our lead can only increase. Considering that we are normally playing in... Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. We're in the realm of alternative history here. Uh, there is a notion that I've been sort of, like, sort of thrashing about within my own mind in the last week or so. And that is, I'm just... Uh, is anyone familiar of the story of the Russian crown jewels and their Dublin connection? No. I've been told at least a couple of readers. Well, um, you never in, told me, Mr. Rogers. Let's forget about the question. In 1920 but largely because of the, the uh, uh, financial scenes of the Collins had quite a lot of money. Um, gave him a loan of, I can't remember for exactly, it was either a thousand or one hundred thousand pounds. Um, Big difference. Inflation wasn't a sort of issue then. <laughs> it was post-Brexit. <laughs> Uh, the Russian government sent the Russian crown jewels um, to Dollar um, because they weren't really using them at the time, uh, being a communist state. And uh, they were then kept uh, during the Irish Civil War. Harry Bowen ran them around to his mother's house, just a random sort of two up, two down house in North Dublin, and said, Keep these and don't let the free state forces get them. Um, uh, and so she kept them in the wardrobe of her spare bedroom until De Valera came to her and then uh, she handed them back to the Irish government and handed them back to the Soviet Union who then, as a sign of good faith, uh, paid the, the original amount 
revoked the considerable amount of interest. No, I'm nearly finished. Revoked the considerable amount of interest that uh, the loan had accrued. And uh, the, the point that I want to make. <laughs> It could over those 30, 40 years. <laughs> it could well have crippled the economy of the USSR. <laughs> and therefore, technically, Ireland would have won the Cold War. Nine, 
Opinion or don't care. I'm tied. Here goes the 